welcome to this FBC podcast. I'm Catherine Battershill, Managing Director of Fund Boards Council, and I hope you'll enjoy listening along with us for the next half an hour or so as we take a look at what fund board directors and those who work closely with them can expect in 2021. With me to look at the year ahead is seasoned governance expert and chair of FBC's own advisory committee, Philip Warland. Philip, welcome. It's great to have you with us. Great to be here. I fear we've landed you with a rather unenviable task of uh, trying to assess what the year ahead might uh, might have in store in these most unpredictable of times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, as we're, we're recording this in early January, the, uh, the UK and many other nations uh, are certainly having a collective sense of deja vu, of, of, uh, of here we go again as the nation goes into a third lockdown. And, uh, uh, and clearly that's presenting a lot of challenges for, for a great many people. Um, and, and I guess, Philip, for, for many fund board directors, there must be a sense of deja vu too, you know, back to trying to deliver good governance digitally, uh, back to holding board meetings online. Uh, it must uh, it, it must feel terribly like uh, here we go again for them as well. I think that's right. I think um, looking backwards uh, over the the past year of the um, of the pandemic, uh, as it were, uh, I mean it was it's it, it's just a huge stress test. I mean all firms would have had um, emergency measures and what have you, but I doubt that many of them had this form of emergency in their planning. And so far as I can see that the fund management industry generally um, has come through it pretty well. And I know that's the, you know, the view of, uh, of the regulators um, as well. Um, and that is, is pretty good. Um, there are still some concerns um, about operational uh, resilience, um, but nothing big failed, if I can put it like that. Admittedly, this was, um, uh, a social crisis rather than a financial crisis per se, um, but it could have um, um, gone wrong if, if a, a large fund manager, for example, if they'd failed completely, they could no longer talk to their clients or they failed to access the markets, then I think you, you'd have got a, a failure of confidence, um, which could have been quite damaging, but it, it didn't happen, which was good. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and as you rightly say, obviously, the pandemic has meant that the FCA, like many other regulators, has had to reprioritise many of its own initiatives for 2020. Um, uh, obviously, there's been that ongoing focus, as, as you said earlier on, on, on operational resilience and overseeing the firms that they've that have had to adapt to working remotely. Uh, but we've also seen other issues, haven't we, such as liquidity risk come to the fore. I wondered how you would characterise the last year or so from a, from a regulatory perspective in the UK. Uh, yeah, I, I think that what um, is becoming clear is that one, one of the things that dis distracted them quite a lot um, uh, was preparing for Brexit. Um, you see them now coming out with um, various um, mitigations, if I can put it like that, of, um, of the impact of, of Brexit. And they, they've constantly had to watch what's, what's happening um, in Brussels as well. On liquidity, they were, they were indeed concerned about liquidity. Um, and there were some liquidity hiccups in the market. But in fact, again, apart from uh, money market funds, um, there was no real um, damage um, done. And I don't think there was damage done um, to customers and clients, and that that's the you know the key thing that you you may have 
problems in the market, but if it doesn't impact clients, um, then that's the, the good uh, the good answer, as it were, the good way out. Um, so I, again, I, I think the industry as a whole managed pretty well. Um, most of the um, fund management companies have spent quite a lot of time working on, on liquidity and liquidity buffers over time. And I think also we've been helped, again, if you look at the evidence on the continent, by the fact that um, most of our funds um, have mitigants like um, swing pricing available to them. And as I say, apart from money market funds and property funds, um, which are fairly left field and a small part of the market, uh, certainly in the UK, um, customers have, did not suffer uh, noticeable damage, which is good. Yeah, absolutely. So as we look ahead now to, to 2021, what issues or, or themes do you expect to see leading the regulatory agenda as we as we go ahead? Well, I think they're thinking through what the implications are for what I would call remote compliance. Um, it's probably again worse on the on, on the sell side or more difficult on, on the sell side where you've got traders trading from their from their bedrooms. Um, and you don't you can't have the control over, for example, mobile devices that you would normally have in, in a trading room. But more generally, I think um, that the uh, regulators will be looking to, to companies uh, to think through the differences uh, which are required in their organizational structure and um, in their culture. Uh, it, it seems to me that with the majority of people working from home in financial services, um, the, uh, the way you normally build, build a culture is partly by human and social interaction. And um, that is no longer available on a person-to-person on -person basis. It, it's, you know, a screen. Um, and so I, I think the, um, uh, the companies are going to have to do quite a lot of, of cultural re-engineering, if I can put it like that. Um, and I think the, um, the regulators are going to be thinking um, quite seriously about that. Uh, the, other, the other one which I think people should be thinking about, although it's a bit nerdy in a way, is that because we've come out of Europe, the whole of our regulatory structure was actually based on European law. Um, and that is fast being rewritten into English law. And that gives the, um, the Treasury and the FCA and the PRA a chance to rethink how they regulate. And there's a debate going on. Uh, and I think, you know, that the fund and asset management uh, companies should be watching that and, and engaging in that. Traditionally, regulation has been dominated by prudential regulation. So you look at a bank and you make sure it's got sufficient capital and the same with insurance companies and um, asset managers and advisors, that is to say people who don't act as principal but act as agents have been a bit of an afterthought and I don't think they've been uh, fully understood. And I think we do have the chance to bring um, the regulation of, of asset management and fund management um, to, to the fore, uh, which I think will be really good. And I think will be actually welcomed by the, um, uh, by the regulators and politicians over time. 
And could you have, see that having sort of significant impact on some of the sort of day-to-day regulatory conversations that are happening uh, between the likes of the FCA and, and, uh, and individual asset managers? I think over time it might. Uh, it depends how much they, they actually want to change the, the legislation itself. And I don't think um, for the majority of it, they'll move um, very far away from uh, you know, the USITS um, uh, directive because on the whole, it's pretty sensible. Um, but I think in terms of conversations um, about the management of risk, um, I think they'll get... Um, uh, probably more intrusive. I think that they will, uh, and I'm sure we'll come on and talk about it more generally, I, they will spend a, a lot of time on governance, including in particular governance of risk um, and how it's managed, and whether it's really managed um, thinking of the client uh, as front and centre of, of what your business is about. Um, now, you don't actually have to change much legislation to do that. I think it's just the way the regulators are likely to behave, which will change. Mm-hmm. And it comes back to that all important point that you were talking about earlier about organisations, culture and, and the way that they approach um, uh, putting the client at the heart of what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as you say, we'll come on and talk a little bit more about Europe and, and some of the changes that may be afoot there in, in a moment or two. But I, I would like just to pick up on a point around uh, obviously a key theme that's been very important over the last uh, year and, and a little bit longer than that, in fact, uh, for many uh, fund board directors and for, for independent directors in particular, and that's the oversight of assessment of value. Um, now, it was certainly clear from the FBC meeting that we held uh, back in November for, with, our, with our INEDs and with um, uh, Gary Murdoch and uh, Nick Miller from the FCA, uh, that whilst the FCA is is broadly pleased with, with the first year um, of AOB and how that's gone, uh, there are some areas, um, for example, I think economies of scale came up and, and AFM costs, which seem to have led to some confusion. And I wondered... I wondered if you thought that we would expect can expect to see some more clarity emerging in 2021 about the regulators' expectations on on these and perhaps other aspects of, of value assessment. Yes, I do. Um, I mean, they have been quite explicit that they got um, um, knocked off track in terms of the way that they, as the regulators, would have liked to have dealt with AOV. And I think about now they would have liked to have. Um, uh, been saying something about it, but uh, I suspect that we will now have to wait until the end of, of the year. And w- that would be quite good because they'd have seen quite a chunk of a second round of, of AOV. Um, and what I would hope they would do would be to say, send a sort of dear CEO letter saying, we observe this good practice and we observe this poor practice. And um, they may be talking severely to one or two of the uh, very poor practices, as it were. And I think that would be really helpful if if they did that. Um, They certainly expect more, I think, on economies of scale, uh, which has always been a a difficult one uh, for the industry. Um, Some firms have in the past try to build economies of scale ratchets into into their systems. Um, But actually, it hasn't been terribly attractive. So quite a lot of those have been dropped. There are still some um, in in the market. 
and the other thing is that um, sometimes you feel that the regulator doesn't understand that you're running a complete business, not just a single fund. So you might have one fund which um, is really quite profitable because it's big. And then there's the question, what do you do with those profits? And do you use it to build the business somewhere else? And um, they're not always, I think, uh, fully across that. But yes, I think we'll, we'll, see, um, we'll see moves like that. There's no doubt at all, um, if you listen into the meetings we, we've had um, with our members, that forcing the boards um, to think about value, uh, which is really quite a difficult concept, um, to think about value and to put the customer at the centre of their thinking has produced a change in the way that um, governing boards have been working. And I think that cultural change will continue. And it's probably the most important thing um, about the assessment of, of value programme. Um, yes, some people have uh, cut their charges and what have you, but I think it's the process by which you get to that conclusion, uh, which is, uh, is most important. And for many firms, that that you know, that's a, a fundamental change in in the way they're approaching many things, right? And it'll be interesting to see how that how that sort of beds in uh, in year two into sort of business as usual. Yeah, no, I think I think that's absolutely right. Um, and you you will um, it, this will spread. Um, Esma uh, has said they're going to do. Um, a convergence exercise across Europe on costs, what they call undue costs, and they, they use that phrase because it's in the usage directive. I don't think they've quite got it, if I can put it like that. Um, it's not absolute costs which are, are, are the issue. It is value uh, regardless of the cost. And one, um, I know one major um, European regulator pretty well disagrees with the way this is headed, and they said something I don't think Esmond would say, but they said to me, if we have a fund which produces very high performance, then we're perfectly happy if they charge high fees. Um, and I'm not entirely sure that Esma understands that. I'd be interested to know how the FCA would, would react to that statement as well. And that's led very neatly, actually, into into to talking a little bit more about Europe. I mean, clearly that ESMA consultation was a significant step or seen as quite a significant step towards, if not necessarily a, an AOV style approach in Europe, certainly a greater focus on, on those underlying costs and charges. But, but there were other key developments, weren't there, last year that that uh, that affect fund governance across Europe. I wondered if you could touch on, 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 on some of those and, and the key things that you saw that are likely to shape fund governance across Europe um, in, in in the next sort of in the near to medium term? Yes, I mean, the, the big debate that's been going on um, is oft, often characterised as being about delegation. And uh, in the Brexit negotiations, there were attempts to um, uh, try and control delegation uh, more crudely, if I can put it like that. But I don't actually think the debate is about delegation. I do think it's about, um, it's about governance. And um, it, it gets various headings and words like substance and uh, so on and so forth. But the prime thing is about, is your governance fit for purpose? Um, are you managing your risks? 
And then are you managing your outsourcing risks? And that's where the delegation point comes in. But the um, continental regulators, particularly Luxembourg and Dublin, are concerned about your outsourcing, whether it be an internal outsourcing or external or cross-border. Um, all of those things are increasingly important to, uh, to, to the regulators. We've seen it particularly with uh, CP86 with, um, in, in Dublin, and they made a very strong statement um, uh, last autumn in a, in a speech which um, uh, one of their senior people gave, where they said that half the industry had, had paid attention to um, what they were trying to achieve, and the other half hadn't. And uh, she characterised it as the half that paid attention are the new new people who've come in and paid attention to our, our requirements. Um, and quite a lot of the uh, people who've been here for some time appeared to pay little or no attention to what we were asking of them. So <laughs> they're going to get tough in Dublin. In the CSSF, um, they haven't done it quite as explicitly, but again, um, if you talk to people on the ground there, you find that um, CSSF um, uh, visits, even if at the moment they're virtual visits, um, are much more um, um, incisive now um, than they have been in, in the past. And they're asking similar questions about risk management, about management, about sourcing, um, and indeed about costs. Um, so I think you, you'll see this right, right across um, Europe. Um, and it plays into, it needs, needs watching uh, because we have um, uh, changes in uh, structures in terms of the way mancos are being put together. Um, and that too, I think, will cause the uh, regulators and supervisors to look um, pretty carefully, um, not just at the legalities of structures, um, but also about the operational realities of, of how these things are going to work. And, and these requirements, um, uh, whether we call them substance or, or, or just more broadly kind of governance uh, uh, requirements, clearly going to have a, a significant impact on, on board directors, um, both in the work that they do, but also just from a practicality point of view, presumably, you know, the, the requirement to have, uh, to, to be able to, to, to be on the ground, uh, uh, to be able to properly discharge your duties. There's some implications there, presumably, for board directors. Uh, yes, there are. And, and uh, again, it's quite interesting um, it, it, uh, about whether location is important. Um, uh, Luxembourg is a particular problem in that many of their um, workers in the financial services industry, including directors, actually live in another country because the other country is two miles away. <laughs> and um, we've had interesting discussions with them. And I think they have a real, real problem. And it'd be interesting to go back and, and ask whether the introduction of, of virtual working has changed the way they look at it. To be fair, um, Luxembourg has done pretty well with COVID. I think a, a, a lot of the uh, businesses are now back actually um, in the office. Um, Dublin has a similar attitude in the sense that they want some um, uh, local nationals um, on the board. Um, 
and how that works out over the longer term is, is going to be interesting. Yes, indeed it is. And uh, and at this point, I'll give a, a very shameless plug for a meeting that we're holding on the 26th of January, um, where we're going to be talking to directors from across uh, Europe, actually, from, from the major locations in Europe, so from Dublin, Luxembourg, the UK, um, looking at uh, exactly these themes, and, and in particular, uh, how they're in compelling firms to sort of think about their, their structures longer term um, and also what it means for board directors who are sitting on the boards of these firms. So if you're listening to this before the uh, 26th of January, then uh, please do take a look at our website and, and register if that sounds like that'll be of interest. Uh, if you're listening after the 26th of January, then uh, there's a recording on the uh, members portal for any FBC members who are interested in this. Uh, but as you say, it should be a very, very interesting discussion indeed. Finally, I'd just like to pick up on, on something that you talked about earlier on, which is you sort of alluded to a, a sense of convergence, I guess, in some governance themes. Um, so you've already talked about a couple of them, you know, the fact that there's a there seems to be a, a, a generally greater focus on on how we measure and articulate costs and charges and the value um, that's being provided to to end investors uh, and also then this sort of greater emphasis on 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 um, on substance and and uh, and the government's governance implications of that um, but are we also seeing overall trends in other areas um, would you say I mean it, it seems to us that you know a lot of conversations whether they're in Dublin or Luxembourg or here in the UK or elsewhere are around things like greater director accountability, um, a greater focus on conduct, conduct and culture. Um, are, are you seeing these trends and do you expect that to be something that continues into 2021, that sense of convergence in, in some of these sort of general governance themes across Europe? Yes, I do. Uh, and it's worth thinking um, about why it might be happening. And I think the the, the most important thing that's going on is that the fund and asset management industry has grown uh, really quite spectacularly, um, which is good. And it's partly grown because the banks are so constrained um, with the new capital requirements after the financial services problems in 2008. Um, and in Europe, um, there's this everlasting talk about a capital markets union and, and that is because they need asset management and capital markets to grow to, to finance their industry and when that happens then I think you you get much greater scrutiny from politicians and regulators. In the UK there's, there's a particular driver um, which is um, automatic enrolment for pensions so the government is saying to two thirds of the population, we are telling you to put your money one way or another into the fund or asset management um, industry. And when they do that, al although you can opt out, I think that the government thinks that they have a very strong incentive to try and ensure best value um, for people in that situation. Um, so there's a number of drivers, all of which point in the same direction, which is we want the best possible governance and uh, we want good value um, for our investors. And the other thing that I think has happened within, within all of this is if you think back 10, 15 years, um, funds and fund management was a black box. 
um, you gave your money to, to the fund company and you really had little idea of, of what happened, you know, behind the closed veil. And you just assumed they get on with it and, and do the best they could with your money. Um, again, because of a number of the trends I've just described, but also I think society in general um, wants much more transparency. So these drivers will not cease. Um, and if anything, they will get more intensive. And, and presumably it's more and more people, and we've seen it starting to happen quite a bit, haven't we, where more and more investors are becoming interested in, in how their money's being invested. The ESG is clearly a, a, a massive trend uh, for the industry as a whole. And, and, and presumably, do, do you feel that that will help to, to continue to drive some of that scrutiny by individual investors and, and, and certainly the sort of larger institutional investors? It, it absolutely will. And again, um, it's being driven in large part uh, in Europe very deliberately, uh, what the Commission and, and the Parliament have done, is that because they do not um, have the legal ability to force companies to disclose how they um, are thinking about sustainability, they've uh, done it through the financial services um, industry and forced asset managers to themselves make state statements about sustainability and uh, to talk about the sustainability of the companies they invest in, they can't do that unless the companies themselves um, make good disclosures about sustainability. So, you know, that's the way it's going to work. And although the UK is no longer bound by those regulations, um, they will um, follow along a very similar course um, and what it does is it, it doesn't actually matter whether you're interested in, in you know um, uh, what the uh, CO2 targets are and so on and so forth the debate is going to get um, much more in front of people whether they're interested or not and there are quite a lot of people who are very interested in, in how their money is invested. So yeah, that's, that's going to be a huge driver. The implications are also strong, I think, for uh, fund boards, uh, which includes some um, INEDs, um, in that two things. One is that this um, work on ESG is going to be very, very extensive. Uh, it's probably the biggest program of work that many uh, fund companies have seen for some time. It's almost like the introduction of MIFID. Um, and it seems to me that fund boards should um, take a great interest in this because it is going to um, impact their reputation and therefore in time impact the, the value that they're providing to their underlying investors. Uh, and so I think it is an issue which board should really pay a lot of attention to, um, even if they're not involved in, in the fine detail of it. Yes, and, and in fact, to that very point, uh, it's going to be a topic that I think we're going to be discussing with uh, the chairs of our um, of our uh, of our corporate members in a forthcoming chairs council session, which you're going to be chairing. Is that right, Philip? Uh, yes, it is. Look forward to that. 
Well, Philip, I suspect we could talk about these topics all day and and, and then some, but uh, but I think we're we're getting to be uh, close to out of time now. Um, thank you very much indeed for all of your expertise and and, and time today. I, I think these topics will be certainly ones that we will be returning to in the course of uh, FBC's meetings um, over the next year. Um, uh, one thing's for certain: it's certainly going to be a busy year for anyone involved in governance, by the sounds of it. Um, and and FBC looks forward to being right there with you through it. Um, Please do take a look at our website, funboards.org, where you'll find um, details of all of our forthcoming digital meetings on, on quite a number of the topics that, that Philip has talked about today. Um, those meetings are for both members and non-members, so please do take a look. Um, for now, thank you very much indeed, Philip Walland, for, for joining us and for giving us your expertise, and thank you for listening. Thank you.